Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric, and today we're reading short and deep, the three wishes. This is an anonymous uh, publication. We don't have the author. It's presumed to be uh, the folk, the people. Um, and uh, I found this originally in a magazine called The Dollar Monthly, uh, which is an American publication uh, from May 1865, sometimes referred to as Baloo's The Dollar Monthly. I guess, according the editor, it was named Baloo. Um, and then I tracked it to a magazine called Harper's, which is everybody's pretty much famous, you know, Harper's Weekly, uh, from March of 1865. And then I found it in the Catholic world of April 1865, uh, where it was attributed to, uh, quote unquote, once a week, which I recognized as a UK paper. I also found it in a magazine called The Railway Scrapbook. <laughs> and I found it in the book uh, that's from 1866 and The Boy's Wonder Book from 1866. And then The Teacher's Handbook to Accompany Fundamental English from 1909. The South Danvers Wizard, August 16th, 1865, which is a newspaper. Um, right next to it was uh, a, a story about the trial of Jefferson Davis. And giving you some context there. And then I found it in the, the Family Herald, the domestic magazine for June 24th, 1865, and Frank Leslie's Pleasant Hours, 1867. Um, all that, and I eventually did track down uh, the earliest of all of these is in Once a Week um, and, uh, for February 18th, 1865. So... Um, all this long story being said, I was very surprised I'd never heard of this fairy tale because, or whatever it is, folk tale, um, because it's really interesting. Um, and it was super popular, apparently, in 1865, 1866, 1867, and uh, going up to 1909, but it's sort of been completely forgotten now. So, um, well, you're certainly doing archaeology, taking out really, all of those examples. It the, is the really question, weird archaeology. It is, but was it reprinted a lot? This is something you and I can make a decision on, and our listeners can make their decision on. Was it reprinted a lot because being anonymous, it didn't seem to have a copyright, and mm -hmm. therefore it was inexpensive editorial content? Mm -hmm. Or was it being reprinted a lot because many, many editors thought, wow, that's really nifty? Yeah, yeah, Um so I, I think it's both. Um, this magazine called Once a Week, or it's more like a newspaper, but it's, uh, it's it tells you how often it's distributed uh, once a week. I, I believe it was started by Charles Dickens. Almost all the other versions I found are from the States, and the States and the UK have kind of weird copyright uh, laws or interactions back then. There were some requirements um, to get copyright. So there, there's probably some story there, but beyond the, you know, whether it was just cheap content, there's lots of content out there. Um, you still have to be able to sell your paper. And if you put in a lot of bad content, eventually you will go out of business. So uh, that all being said, I think it's 
it's well worth remembering this story um, because it's funny and it's very interesting. And it has this uh, uh, editorial introduction that gets much abbreviated in later versions, including the, the one from Baloo's where I originally found it didn't have it at all. So um, I, I'm glad I dug this up and shared it with you so that you can share it with me and with our audience. Would you care to read it for us? I would, but I just have to ask, um, if, if this is a Dickens publication, mm -hmm. which uh, I'm not sure that it, well, it might be. It's, it, it was might at be. one time. I, I don't know that it was at, in 1865, but it was one he, he uh, co-edited, I believe. Mm -hmm. So what I'm wondering is, could Anonymous, in fact, be Chuck himself? Mm -hmm. Uh, there is reason to think not, um, and that is from the introduction, uh, which is in the once-a-week version. But uh, let's talk about that after. I agree. So let's hear. And let me let me recite this. Thank you. The three wishes. There was once a wise emperor who made a law that to every stranger who came to his court, a fried fish should be served. The servants were directed to take notice if, when the stranger had eaten the fish to the bone on one side, he turned it over and began on the other side. If he did, he was to be immediately seized, and on the third day thereafter, he was to be put to death. But, by a great stretch of imperial clemency, the culprit was permitted to utter one wish each day, which the emperor pledged to grant, provided it was not to spare his life. Many had already perished in consequence of this edict when one day a count and his young son presented themselves at court. The fish was served as usual, and when the count had removed all the fish from one side, he turned it over and was about to commence on the other when he was suddenly seized and thrown into prison and was told of his approaching doom. Sorrow-stricken, the count's young son besought the emperor to allow him to die in the room of his father a favor which the monarch was pleased to accord him. The count was accordingly released from prison, and his son was thrown into a cell in his stead. As soon as this had been done, the young man said to his jailers, You know I have the right to make three demands before I die. Go and tell the emperor to send me his daughter and a priest to marry us. This first demand was not much to the emperor's taste. Nevertheless, he felt bound to keep his word, and he therefore complied with the request to which the princess had no kind of objection. This occurred in the times when kings kept their treasures in a cave or in a tower set apart for the purpose, like the emperor of Morocco in these days. And on the second day of his imprisonment, the young man demanded the king's treasures. If his first demand was a bold one, the second was not less so. Still, an emperor's word is sacred, and having made the promise, he was forced to keep it, and the treasures of gold and silver and jewels were placed at the prisoner's disposal. On getting possession of them, he distributed them profusely among the courtiers, and soon he had made a host of friends by his liberality. The emperor began now to feel exceedingly uncomfortable. Unable to sleep, he rose early on the third morning and went with fear in his heart to the prison to hear what the third wish was to be. Now, said he to the prisoner, 
Tell me what your third demand is, that it may be granted at once and you may be hung out of hand, for I am tired of your demands. Sire, answered his prisoner, I have but one more favor to request of your majesty, which, when you have granted, I shall die content. It is merely that you will cause the eyes of those who saw my father turn the fish over to be put out. Very good, replied the emperor. Your demand is but natural and springs from a good heart. Let the chamberlain be seized, he continued, turning to his guards. I, sire, cried the chamberlain. I did not see anything. It was the steward. Let the sword be seized then, said the king. But the sword protested with tears in his eyes that he had not witnessed anything of what had been reported and said it was the butler. The butler declared that he had seen nothing of the matter and that it must have been one of the bullets. But they protested that they were utterly ignorant of what had been charged against the count. In short, it turned out that nobody could be found who had seen the count commit the offense, upon which the princess said, I appeal to you, my father, as to another Solomon. If nobody saw the offense committed, the count cannot be guilty, and my husband is innocent. The emperor frowned, and forthwith the courtiers, and immediately their visages became radiant. Let it be so, said his majesty. Let him live, though I have put many a man to death for a lighter offense than his. But if he is not hung... He is married. Justice has been done. Okay, so it's it's kind of a joke, I think. <laughs> At least <laughs> that ending. Um, <laughs> justice has been done because he's been married. <laughs> it's the equivalent of being hung, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, it's pretty funny stuff. But um, I think the story works without that that little joke twist as well um it works in a slightly different way um but i was reminded this that kind of reminded me of the borges style of writing right very terse um but deep and then there's these meta reflections um you know mentioning like the emperor of morocco in these days right and I'm like, think, there's an emperor of Morocco in in, in 19, 1860s. Mm. Um, so we've got a lot going on here, but we've also got this um, this introduction. So I, I was mentioning that in the original publication, oh, I found know, it in. Uh huh. I'm sorry. I, forgive me, Jesse. I think that the ending. I think it does work if one doesn't catch what's going on and the irony of the ending. But I think that that irony is not just uh, a tack on. I think it's actually uh, part of a thread that runs throughout the whole story. Oh, now, I don't know if you want to discuss that or not, but I thought if you wanted to, maybe sure. before we get to the intro. Sure. Well, I, I'd, I'd like to point out that when we get to the Garden of Eden, we get to the story of the fall. There are three consequences to the fall, childbirth, uh, labor, and death. That is, Eve is told that her punishment is that she must cleave to the man and obey him. Marriage in Genesis is framed in such a way that it can be seen as a punishment. It's mm -hmm. a fall from grace. This picks that up. Now, notice what the emperor is doing here. 
the emperor is making an absolutely arbitrary edict about mm -hmm. what can and cannot be done. And if you violate his edict, then you are to die. The particular edict has to do with how you consume a fish. And I'll remind you that a fish is a traditional Christian symbol uh, for all kinds of interesting reasons. But um, the fish is a symbol of Jesus. Uh, the name in Greek, Christos, uh, the anointed one, comes out, if you use that as an acronym, uh, um, Christos Oios, um, uh, let's see, Christos Oios, um, Theo uh, Soter, it's Jesus, um, Lord, uh, King, uh, and, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not remembering the Greek well enough now, but it spells out um, Christ, and it stands for Christ, and it's a fish. Mm -hmm. So here, if you use the fish wrong, you're condemned. But if you figure out how to use the fish right, in fact, what happens? It is not the father, the count, who figures out how to function within the edict of the king. Mm -hmm. It is the son mm -hmm. who redeems everything. I think this story the, resonates. Yeah. He dies in the place, he's going to die in the place of his father, right? Exactly. But in fact, he redeems the whole world because this is emperor is the emperor of everywhere, as mm -hmm. far as we can tell. Right? There's no, there are no competing realms. He's the emperor of everywhere. And these are the rules. But how do you manage to survive these rules? It's the son, not the father, who allows for redemption. I think there is a, uh, a sort of resonance between the count and the emperor, and it's the son who redeems them, as if the, uh, the emperor were the Old Testament father, mm -hmm. um, right? The jealous God, and the count is the New Testament God the father. Son redeems. Now, in so doing, what we have is a brief story about, and that we don't get much detail, as you said, it's Borgesian and it's a concision. Mm -hmm. the, the, the princess had no objection to this marriage. Nope. This is just like those oral tales, you know, and they were good looking. And so blammo, they came together. And so it is she who intercedes and says, Father, please. If you didn't see this, then it couldn't have been that. Right? <laughs> it, so as in the story of the fall, Eve looked at the apple and saw that it was good to eat. She looks at this fellow and sees that he is good to couple with. So she then says to the father, you know, don't believe what you hear about seeing. This uses the same imagery that, the, that Genesis uses, except here, not only do we have the Son later on in the New Testament giving us redemption, but we have the Eve figure herself, not brought into it by her own error, being brought into it by the cleverness of the Son. And then she goes along with it and is able to redeem everybody. So mm -hmm. the... the it is an interesting inversion of the story of Genesis. The three wishes, like the three days in the cave, bring forth a new, a new savior. Mm -hmm. I, I think, as a Christian tale, this is 
enormously interesting. It is. It's, it's really interesting because um, when I was reading it with my students, I I was like, I have anticipation of what's going to happen. Like, oh, this is I love setups with Three Wishes. I mean, it's such a classic title, even the Three Wishes. It made me think I must have read this before, but I absolutely had not. And using those three wishes, we see it in stories like um, W.W. Jacobs, uh, The Monkey's Paw, right? Um, mm-hmm. Usually uh, is a, a curse. Um, you need to use one of the wishes to defeat the previous wish. Here, it's the other way around. These are like three miracles. This this uh, emperor has the power to do anything, but more importantly, even when he has the power to do it and he doesn't want to do it, he'll do it anyways. So this is a setup for a perfect sort of um, how to get out of this arbitrary situation. Use the arbitrary power you're given. And I did not see it coming. I didn't see it coming at all. I, I had my <laughs> students guess what's going to what is, what are the three wishes were. And one of them was uh, one of them said, you know, reverse places with me, king. <laughs> so that you're the one who's going to be executed, which is actually pretty close to what happens immediately, right? Somebody does reverse places, but actually it's somebody outside of the wishes. So this this emperor uh, allows that the, the son replace the father in his stead. That's really interesting. And then once we have him in there, what does he do? He demands to be married, to make his daughter a widow, right? Then he demands the money uh, that the emperor has. And what does he do? He distributes it evenly or at least widely. And then thirdly, he demands uh, that the person who saw his sin have his eyes cast out. <laughs> and what uh, what amazing miracle happens next is that unlike the father, this uh, emperor king, who uh, always... Uh, sticks to the bargains that he's made somehow nobody managed to see the crime actually take place and the buck is passed down from the chamberlain to the steward to the butler all the way down throughout the kingdom it seems none of the servants saw that the crime was committed hence i must go free um (laughs) it's perfect it's like absolutely surprising didn't see any of it coming and yet it has this sort of hidden hidden story within it of like well did, is it true that the steward never actually saw it it's possible is it true that the uh chamberlain never actually saw it maybe somebody saw it because we were told his servants were to watch and he did flip it over we were told and yet somehow when that witness is called forth that person doesn't exist <laughs> and we know why nobody wants to have their eyes cast out but if it had been the emperor he would have cast out his own eyes i feel confident i think if we go back to the christian reading mm-hmm. um the question you're raising did anyone really see this um can be recast as did anybody really see original sin or a fisherman walk on the water uh, well, true too, uh, because the the fish is so <laughs> prominent here. But 
if you are a Christian and you believe that we need to uh, take communion, for example, mm-hmm. make confession, receive absolution, even if we've done nothing wrong because there is original sin, who among us has actually seen that original sin? That's right. Right. So this story, uh, as I said, it's not just a reversal. It's an interesting other look at it, and I think you've put your finger on what that look is. It invalidates the arbitrary control that the emperor would like to have over his people, so much so that he will lose his daughter, he will lose his treasure, and yet he will smile because God the Father is well pleased that the ministry of his son has been powerful on the earth. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, I want to talk again uh, briefly about this introductory material because I was very surprised to see it. Um, after Would you I read st- it to us? Yeah, sure. Um, but as I say, when I, I got it originally in the Dollar Monthly magazine, which I, I quite enjoy as a magazine, um, it, it was absolutely missing. And then I found it in Harper's with a very abbreviated uh, version of what ultimately I think is probably the original source for that editorial. Um, which is once a week uh, out of the UK. So this this one uh, starts on page 250 and continues to the top of 251. The eastern origin of this tale seems evident. Had it been originally composed in a northern land, it is probable that the king would have been represented as dethroned by means of bribes obtained from his own treasury. In an eastern country, the storyteller who invented such a jest Uh, sorry, such a just termination of his narrative, would most likely have experienced that fate intended for his hero as a warning to others how they suggested such treasonable ideas. Herr Simrock, however, says it is a German tale, but it it, it may have had its origin in the East for all that. Nothing is more difficult indeed than to trace a popular tale to its source, Cinderella, for example, belongs to nearly all nations, even among the Chinese, a people so different to all European nations, there is a popular story which reads almost exactly like it. Here is the tale of the three wishes. So, um, what is the the purpose of that editorial introduction? Obviously, Baloo's magazine uh, deleted it um, completely. Harper's has it much, much abbreviated. Um, and just saying that the Eastern origin of this tale is evident. <laughs> uh, doesn't talk about Herr Simrock, um, who was a real dude, um, a German uh, scholar like the Brothers Grimm of of uh, folk tales, household tales. Um, I couldn't find the original German of this. I'm sure it exists. That's why I'm fairly sure that it wasn't <laughs> written wholly by... Um, by uh good old anonymous yeah uh, yeah i mean it's it's really funny we i'm saying it's by anonymous but it's just not not attributed right but um one magazine attributes it to once a week i find once a week they have it it's previous date so it goes back and back and back whoever wrote it or who whoever's or however we want to call it it's it's a story of power so what does this introduction do? Um, I think it might it might damage the reading. 
of it by making you focused on the wrong things. But on the other hand, maybe it's trying to make you read it a little deeper because when it says it's an Eastern story rather than a German story or a Northern story, and it talks about all those things I was talking about, like um, what's going to happen, what might have happened, will the will the king or the emperor be, notice it says king rather than emperor, be dethroned by bribes obtained from his own treasury. In essence, that's what happens in the story, right? He's, he's well, had he's, his... He's, he's had not his, dethroned. Well, I mean, let's think about this for a second. He had his daughter um, married to a man, you know, by force of the uh, power of his own trap. He had his money taken away, and he has his prisoner removed from from the the jail. What's going to happen is he will be dethroned when he dies and the daughter accedes to the throne. Well, yes, but he'll be dethroned when he dies, regardless of whether his daughter <laughs> Indeed. is married or not. Indeed. <laughs> so, uh, but the thing is, is, you know, his estate, his, his, his cash, his, his, his edicts are dethroned in a certain sense. So, um, I, I'm not sure how to read this other than to say it, it exists. Um, and like, and then the point that I think is well made that such tales as Cinderella are found throughout uh, cultures around the world seems to be true. There is a, I know, I think I've read that Chinese version or, and there's an Indian version of Cinderella as well. And there, there are, are many, many variations. There's very it's many a Mexican variations. version in which it's Cinderella is a, it's, he's Juan Zenitha. He's yeah. a, he's, it's a boy, not a girl. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's a very interesting universal story, it seems. Yep. But here we have one that I'd never seen before. I'd never even heard of before. And yet it follows a kind of pattern that I think is <laughs> admirable. I, I salute who, whomever's wrote this <laughs> wonderful and understated little story. I agree. I agree. I think that the, the head note that you read, which may have come from the earliest source of all, Right. Mm -hmm. As you said, you may have unearthed the seventh layer down um, archaeologist, the oldest version of this. Um, what the headnote does is say that this really is a new story. It is, in fact, potentially a universal story. Mm -hmm. But I think you really put your finger on something uh, quite clever, Jesse. You couldn't tell, you said, whether having this headnote made for a reinforcement of the power of the story by suggesting that it's universal, or it undercut the story by suggesting that it must be an Eastern tale, right. not just, right? And I think that as you look through the different versions that you have excavated, we see three different uses of this headnote. Mm -hmm. The use of the headnote they get rid of the head note entirely is the one that clearly says, well, let's just stick to the tale. Let's yeah. just assume it's a tale. Heaven only knows where it came from and, and look at the tale. So that means that the head note would detract the, the use that we have here in once a week is to say, well, we can't tell if it's cultural bound, culturally bound or not, 
But even if it is, it's probably universal. So this is making a comment about the nature of these kinds of tales. Mm -hmm. The abbreviated version in Harper's Weekly says only this. The eastern origin of this tale seems evident. Had it been originally composed in a northern land, it is probable that the king would have been represented as dethroned by means of his bribes obtained from his own treasury. Mm -hmm. And that's it. It doesn't say anything about it appearing anywhere else. In other words, what Harper's Weekly does is give up the claim of universality in order to argue for for the craven nature of the East. Yeah, it is the East, right? Absolutely. um, Gratuitously, the East is brought in um, in order to show us that they would have been terrible, but only (laughs) we in the North, right, would have been so noble to live up to his word. So this is this head note actually helps explain, I think. Part of the reason that this tale was so widely distributed, you can give it, as I did, um, a Christian reading and see it dealing with many philosophical issues. You can give it the simple um, three riddles need to be solved. It's a happy fairy tale, folk tales reading, which uh, your students may have found the most attractive. And they are younger and mm-hmm. not as wise as you and I. <laughs> you could get the original headnote, which really means to problematize this, but then ask, should the problem be there at all, which suggests what's really behind the writing of the tale, because it raises all kinds of interesting questions about gender relations. Does the man have to, you know, what men and women, sexuality and so on. Um, and then we can look at other magazines making other uses of the same story by using selectively the story, the head note, or piece of the head note. It's wonderfully malleable. Mm -hmm. Or you write this story, you write the head note. I'm willing to think they're both written by the same writer. And then the rest of us find there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.